Welcome to the Leading Visionaries Podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established leading visionaries. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate and spotlight the leading visionaries who are thinking differently, seeing new possibilities, have the courage to dream big, take inspired action, and create conscious change all around the world. Now, here's your host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Leading Visionaries podcast, where we celebrate the ingenious, insightful, innovative, and inspired leading visionaries of our time and provide our listeners with world-class examples of the kind of courage, clarity, and confidence it takes to bring visions into reality. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our special guest, Deke Copenhaver. Deke currently serves as principal of Copenhaver Consulting, LLC. He's a keynote speaker, leadership coach, and host of the Changemaker podcast. Deke is the author of the Forbes book, Amazon number one bestseller, The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders. In 2022, he became a founding partner with Starts With Us, a national movement combating extreme polarization. Deke served as mayor of Augusta, Georgia from 2005 to 2014 and has been recognized as one of Georgia Trend Magazine's 100 Most Influential Georgians on multiple occasions. He and his wife, Melissa, live in Augusta with their two corgis, Minnie and Haas. I am so <laughs> glad. Is it Haas? I hope it's I pronounced Haas. it. Haas. It's Haas, you got it. Haas, all right. Well, I'm so glad to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for coming, Deke. Angel, thank you so much for having me. As we were discussing before we came on, I'm having a little bit of a voice issue, but it was shared to me by a speaking coach at one point that speaking and communicating is about connection, not perfection. You and I are going to get the connection perfect, maybe not the perfection, though. All right. Well, you know, I think one of the most important things that anybody listening to this show who's either a leading visionary themselves or, you know, learning from leading visionaries like yourself is that we don't have to be perfect. And so thank you for starting our time together with that, because I think there is and has been for many years under the old kind of command and control leadership model where perfection was expected. And it's really an impossible expectation for anyone. So thank you for starting us with that. So I I wanna begin, Deke, with asking you about your own leadership journey. Were you the kid who was like, you know, rustling up all the other kids on the playground and saying, we're going this way and, you know, being the, the leader on the playground or did your leadership journey kind of emerge over time? You know, it's, it's interesting that you should ask that. I was a very shy kid, but I was the kid that for some reason, every other kid wanted to be friends with. And I don't know if you call that charisma or what you call that, but I've always drawn people in. And so growing up, I I wanted to be an author. I actually wanted to write for Rolling Stone. I had no interest in going into politics, but for me, it's always been part of good leadership is just seeing a need and doing what nobody else wants to do. So that's how I ended up running for mayor. Had no intention for a season in politics, but I just did it because I felt like 
we as a city needed new leadership. Mm, yeah, I love that. All right. So part of being a leading visionary is getting vision. So do you yeah. want to talk a little bit about like what happened? Did you get some vision? Did you get some calling that said, I need to go serve in I, in public service in this way? It's, it's interesting that you should say that. So we were having a swap of church congregations in my church, a black congregation coming in our church and a white congregation going to a black church. And the two ministers were friends of mine. And this was in my late 20s. But I said, you know, or early 30s, I said, something has just clicked in my life that it's like a quarterback when they say that they can see the field. Just looking out across our community, I'm like, I understand not just, you know, that this is the right thing to do, but it's something that our community needs. And so that was the moment that it just sort of clicked for me in an aha moment that I could kind of see the field. Mm, beautiful. And so as a result of that seeing, you know, for me, I call it the calling. Sometimes it's a seeing, sometimes it's a calling. And and for me and for a lot of the people that I work with and serve, the calling is kind of undeniable. And so yeah. in your case, I'm I'm guessing that the seeing was undeniable, right? And so once you see, you can't unsee. And yeah. so once you saw, you know, then what inspired you to make, you know, moves in the direction of, you know, making that happen? Well, it's it's interesting. So I went through the, the oldest statewide leadership program in the nation in 2004, Leadership Georgia. My graduation weekend, we had our third current or former elected official locally go under indictment. And one of the board members at my graduation weekend said, what are you guys putting in the water in Augusta? And I was like, man, that's it. We need new political leadership. So I made my decision then, but I also knew that I study, you know, I'm a policy walk or study city economics. At that point in time, we were losing tax base. We were losing population. And I'm like, if these trends are allowed to continue, it's not a good thing with Detroit being the primary example. But I thought, if I know that and I don't try to do anything about it, part of that is on me and I've got culpability. So I felt like, I need to try to have an intervention. And fortunately, it was successful. Mm, beautiful. So let's talk a little bit now about, you know, some of the factors of being in a leadership role, like part of what you had to do when you stepped into that role and became the mayor was you had to be not only making that decision internally and with, of course, your family, but also it was part of your role to start enrolling other people into your vision. So can you talk about the process of both learning how yeah. to express your vision in a way that was enrolling and then the process of actually enrolling people and getting them behind you? I'll tell you, that's a great question. So I always share with people that the only power good leaders should concern themselves with is the power to inspire because no one individual can do anything alone. But if you can inspire other people to work with you, there's nothing you can't do. So the first year that I ran in 2005, 
I was 37 years old and we had a bunch of 20 and 30 something year olds that knew nothing about politics, but the energy and enthusiasm drew people in. And I laid out a vision of economic prosperity. I would tell people my whole time in office, my focuses are economic development and job creation, healing the racial divide and running a more efficient government. And so I could show metrics and attach them to, well, this is the progress we're making. And so being able to get people to buy into your vision at the outset, but then to have the measurables to show them where the vision was taking them, that's a key to keep them. It's great to get people inspired and excited, but you've got to show results to keep them on board. Mm, beautiful. I love that. So let's talk about you enrolling yourself and your family first as well, yes. like because a lot of times our biggest you know, our biggest doubters are our own internal, I call it the demon of doubt, right? Yes. Our own internal demon. And then when we kind of vanquish that enough to be able to say, okay, I'm willing to do this, then our like closest people to us often are yeah. the ones that show up demonizing our ideas or, or casting doubt. And it's often easier to enroll strangers than it yeah. is to enroll your friends and family. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like for you to do the work internally that said, I'm going to do this, and then to deal with the people maybe closest to you that were like, what are you, crazy? I've, I've got a great story for that. So actually, we lost my mother-in-law, who I was very close to, eight days after I announced that I was running for office. And so that was in June of 2005. But I went to my father-in-law and my wife and I said, are you guys okay with me doing this? Because if you're not, I'll walk away right now. And they both said, my mother-in-law, whose name was Kitty, said, no, Kitty would want you to do it. Kitty would have been very defensive of me. I lost my own mother, but, but I wouldn't have done it had they not told me that. And just knowing what it would be like going through the grieving of my mother-in-law, you know, my father-in-law's wife, my wife's mother, I had to have buy-in at the get-go. Because if I didn't have that family buy-in, I wouldn't have done it. But also, one of the things I shared with my campaign consultant, I said, look, I'm going to be there for my family no matter what during this campaign. So if they need me, I'm there. I prioritize them and their needs above the needs of this campaign. But I also shared with him, and I think part of good leadership is setting the tone. I said, look, I am never going to go negative. If I can't run on my own vision and my own track record in leadership positions, I don't deserve to be running in the first place. So those were the, that was what the ground rules that we set from the get-go. So that did, we had the internal buy-in, which, had that not happened, you know, you'd never have gotten the external buy-in because I'm dedicated. My family and my faith have to come first. But I think me putting those as priorities really helped the campaign in the long run because people knew I had integrity. Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, integrity and leadership is something that over the last several years, we've seen a yes. lot of We've we've had the scab ripped off, I think. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I think that 
there's always been people that have been in a state of integrity in the political system. And there's always been people who have been way out of integrity, but there's yeah. been like this, you know, mirage yeah. <laughs> over, over that. So, all right, we have a, about a minute before we go to the break. So one of the things that I was hearing there, and this is something that I, I also, you know, work with my leaders around is having what I like to call big heart boundaries, yeah. right? Yes. So you had this heart for service. You had this desire and this vision and you were wise enough to set boundaries right from the get-go. Were there any other big-hearted boundaries that you needed to set, either for yourself or your family or your team, your campaign team, or your staff once you became mayor? You know, I've got a very strong faith and remaining true to my faith because it's like I see political campaigns and there are people telling untruths outright lies about their opponents in order to create fear in people to get elected. And my faith, I'm a Christian. I don't begrudge anybody else their own faith tradition, but that's bearing false witness. And I'm like, I'm never going to do that. And we give it a pass in politics and, oh, well, that's just politics. I'm like, if, if I have to compromise my character or who I am to win an election or to get ahead in business, I'm just not willing to do it because my character is that important to me. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, and at the end of the day, it's between you and your source, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what happened after you left the mayoral <laughs> position and became a best-selling author. Right <laughs> now, we listeners going to ask you, are you a leading visionary or in the role of leading other visionaries? I'd love to have you consider joining our community and sharing your feedback and takeaways from each episode. We invite you to join us and support this podcast by making a donation at www.leadingvisionariespodcast.com. And if you're interested in finding out more about how you can receive support for getting your vision out of the air and onto the ground, then you can apply to qualify for a complimentary consultation with me or a member of my team by clicking on the Connect with Angel button that's right there on the website. Please be sure to share this show in your own spirals of influence with the people who you think might benefit from our content. I want to say a huge thank you to all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing. We're welcoming in thousands and thousands of downloads from all over the world. I'm going to shout out this week to our listeners in Georgia, and we will be right back with Deke Copenhaver. The Leading Visionaries podcast is brought to you by the Creative Age Consulting Group. Are you the one who thinks differently, who is called to create a significant conscious change in the world, who is seeing and dreaming of a better way for your industry, your community, humanity? Creative Age Consulting Group is hired to guide leading visionaries just like you who want to break through the static in order to clearly express and confidently enroll support for their vision in a way that makes it inevitable that it will come to pass. Your word is your wand, and as the leader, your ability to articulate and communicate your vision is essential to its materialization and monetization. Please enjoy with our compliments a free copy of the book, Be Heard by Millions and Live Your Destiny, which was a number one new release in three categories to get you started. The book is yours by visiting gift.leadingvisionariespodcast.com. 
We are back with Deke Copenhaver, and you can find out more about him at deke-copenhaver.com. We will have that information for you in the show notes. So Deke, before we went to the break, we were talking about things about boundary setting and setting expectations in advance of when you are at the point where you're getting ready to ignite your vision and and yeah. take that vision into you know into reality. Now let's talk about okay, so you became the mayor, you were the mayor until 2014 and then what happened? Life I'm, changed. Something changed. Yeah, <laughs> no. You know, it's interesting. I was 47 when I got out. And so I started a business based on service at still Copenhagen Consulting. I help local governments, local small businesses, because that's something that's important to me. I love to see people succeed. Now, I also got into leadership coaching. Same thing. I mean, I know that you have the same feeling just helping people and serving people and seeing them succeed. I did it for nine years in office. I've done it for eight years out of office, but that's sort of when I wrote my book. So I'd written a column on leadership or the Georgia Municipal Association for four or five years. So Forbes found me through that and said, do you want to write a book? And I said, sure. So my editor at first told me, you've got to target a demographic. And I thought, I didn't do that in office. I governed to the middle and not to the vocal minority on the extremes because you can't lead to the extremes. So six months in, he said, this is really going to appeal to a wide variety of people. So after the book came out, I had a young lady locally who's the Democratic vice, the vice chair of the Democratic Party here, who's African-American. She said, I love your book. My 18-year-old daughter loves your book. And you need to run for office again. And I'd vote for you even if you ran as a Republican. And so then I had a guy who knows former President Trump, very good friend, came to me and said, I love your book, went on it, on about it. But I'm like, well, if the two of you can agree with that, maybe you can't agree on politics. But I think that's good leadership is bringing people together on common ground. And I use every platform I have to do that. Mm, I love that. Well, you know, I love that you're also part of this starts with us movement to combat the extreme polarization, because we yeah. certainly, most certainly have seen extreme polarization since, you know, certainly since the 2016 timeframe from my perspective. So I would love to have you talk a little bit about even the extreme has gotten extreme. Oh yeah. At this point, yeah. you know, the extreme has gotten extreme. Yeah. Do you see a path forward and if if you had a platform where you could whether it was a political position or your consultancy or your your podcast or whatever, like what are maybe three things that that could be common on both sides of these extreme polarities? That, that you might suggest people look at to try and get everybody closer to the middle again? You know, to me, it's just, it's sort of, people want to live in clean, safe communities where they can educate their children, where they have access to, you know, healthcare. These are all things that most people can agree on. You know, obviously, homelessness is an issue every place that you go. So there are all these commonalities 
that we can agree that these are issues we need to address. But I think it's organizations like Starts With Us that are going to be the ones that bring us together. So we now have 1.4 million followers across all social media platforms. Focus of the organization, it's up to us, each individually, to commit to treating each other with curiosity, compassion, and the courage to have the difficult conversations. That's nothing we need to wait on the government to do. That's personal responsibility that intentionally we can each day focus on doing that and on listening to others and their points of view and not just labeling them bad or wrong, but just don't give in to the extremism. It's people, people are profiting off of keeping us divided and angry politically and financially. And I don't like being played and just understand if you're feeding into that, you're being played and you're part of the problem but you individually can be a part of the solution. Mm, Beautiful. I love it. Well, so I just, for our listeners, I want to reiterate that curiosity. Yes. Oh my God. Curiosity. I feel is like one of the keynotes of any leaders, you know, ability to actually lead well, right? So can we go back to that childlike state of wonder? A little, two little babies sitting next to one another in the park are just like, you know, they're just curious about each other. They're, they have no preconceived notions whatsoever. So can we let go of those preconceived notions and then compassion, right? At the very least, you know, can you see that it's another human being in front of you and exactly. feel that they might have similar feelings? They, you know, they're sad, they're happy, they're joyful, they're angry. They they have all the things that you have. And then this courage to converse. So, you know, one of the things that you do, Deke, is you have your own podcast. So I know that you you use conversation and conversations as a way to lead now. Can you talk about maybe what I would consider in some ways the lost art of the courage to have hard conversations? Yeah, no, I, I love it. And basically, I think my superpower is I've always made people feel comfortable in opening up to me. I do it on the podcast. I did it in office. I do it. But that's to create those safe spaces where you're not judging. You're not saying you're bad or wrong. It's I tell people, I've got a good friend who served in local government with me that grew up in an impoverished inner city neighborhood. I grew up in a golf course community. He was socialized differently than me. We didn't always agree politically, but we were friends. And had I been raised in his circumstances, my worldview would have been better doesn't make either worldview bad or wrong. They're just different. And I think that's where we as leaders need to start to realize just because somebody thinks differently than us does not necessarily make them bad or wrong. And it's the curiosity part that I love that you highlighted. I don't want to just know why. I mean, what people think, I want to know why do you think that way? What created that line of thinking in you? Because I think if we can be compassionate, and really have that empathy to have the courage to have those good conversations. That's where progress starts. Mm, Yeah, I love it. Well, you know, one of the things that is important is, you know, where did this line of thinking come from? And I think that anybody in a leadership role, especially in these 
very, I call it the changing times. We're in the changing yeah. times right yeah. now, oh, yeah. right? And so a lot of things are collapsing that, that people invested their whole lives in believing or yeah. upholding. A lot of new things are emerging at such a rapid pace that most people can't keep up with the emergence of, yeah. you know, technology and other, you know, communications and all the ways that we are having this emergence of massive paradigm shifting things happening at the same time that that everything else is falling apart. That question of where did this line of thinking come from? Actually, I think, and I don't know if this is true, you tell me if you've had this experience, I think just being willing to get behind the line of thinking yeah. opens up the possibility for expanding that vision and finding a common ground. Would you say that's true? I, I, I would agree completely, but I think we often get stuck in the status quo and the status quo now in media, social media, and politics is polarization. But I was reading an article, I think it was in Forbes last week, that was talking about how polarization is destroying the media. And they don't even know it because people are tuning out. I had this conversation with my sister today, and I have it on a weekly basis. People are like, I just don't even watch the mainstream media anymore. Hmm. So they're losing money due to polarization and skewing to the extremes, but they don't even know it because it's, but we've always done it this way. Mm. So I think what we need to show them is there's a different way that's also profitable. You know, embrace it. You know, people talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's an important thing to Generation Z. You know, don't, don't judge it. That's the truth. Generation Z and millennials will be 45% of the electorate next year in 2024. So if you're a business or if you're a political party and you can't engage and appeal to the younger generation, you're not, it's not going to work out well for you in the long run. So this getting behind the line of thinking, it's important. It's not just the right thing to do. It's the profitable thing to do too. Mm, I love it. Well, we've only got a minute left, Deke. So in the last minute, I'd love to have you share if you'd like, you know, who are the kind of people that come and hire you and your consulting company to do some work with them to help them find the way to the middle? You know, it's mainly servant leaders and it's people who want to build a good culture in their business or in their communities. Effectively, that's what we did with local government here was to build a very good culture. Unfortunately, it didn't last beyond my time in office. So with a business, you have, but we need to, as businesses, you need to be an employer of choice that people want to get excited to come to work. And I tell people it's sharing this with leaders, with my coaching clients or with businesses or communities. It's really pretty simple. Treat your employees and your customers the way you want to be treated. It's just that simple. The implementation is a little bit more difficult, but I can show you real world how I've been able to work with teams to implement that. Oh, beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Deke. And I do wish you many blessings on your throat and that that becomes well 
quickly because I can tell that you have so much more to offer to our world. So listeners, we do love feedback. Please let us know what you thought of today's episode by joining our community, sharing your takeaways, asking questions, or submitting guest suggestions. You can weave your visionary thread into our fabric by opting in on our website at leadingvisionariespodcast.com or by interacting with us on social. Look for the handle at Leading Visionaries Podcast on all of the major platforms. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your eyes, ears, and hearts open. And remember, you are here to create conscious change. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Leading Visionaries on Apple Podcasts and share with other people you know who can benefit from today's episode. Leading Visionaries is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leading visionaries who are called to create conscious change and know that now is the best time to welcome wealth and cultivate a web of collaborative support to bring their vision to life. We invite your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of new episodes at leadingvisionariespodcast.com.